Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joel Show podcast. Today on the pod, in an in-camera meeting, Surrey decides to stay with the RCMP. Is the decision final? Not according to Victoria. Full coverage today, plus calls and Canada's population. It's 40 million. Our Friday wrap panel weighs in on Canadians wanting to hit the brakes on immigration. That's all next on the Jazz Joel Show podcast. As you're aware, City Council in Surrey in an in-camera meeting voted to revert back to the RCMP uh, late yesterday afternoon. Now Mayor Brenda Locke uh, said she did not set a timeline for the transition on how long it will take the Surrey RCMP to return back to full strength. Um, the mayor earlier today did say she had hoped the SPS and the RCMP work together uh, in a professional manner, ensuring that the service levels remain high. Take a listen. Surrey needs a final answer on policing and the Surrey Council has decided with a vote held yesterday to retain the RCMP as our police force of jurisdiction. There is no question the decision on policing in Surrey rests with Surrey Council. The Premier and the Solicitor General have confirmed that fact. That is uh, Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke. Now, that sounds great, touchy-feely, everything's been solved. But by doing what the city did, or at least uh, based on how the vote turned out, uh, there will be repercussions um, based on that vote. Uh, first, the $150 million that the province uh, promised over five years is now null and void if this uh, particular decision stands. The severance cost for getting rid of the SPS will be $72 million. That's on Surrey taxpayers assume all the members of SPS decide um, they want to leave. Now, remember, there was a letter sent by the SPS union, which we got our hands on just a few days ago. The union president at that time said that they wanted to move on and weren't interested in making the move to the RCMP if council decided to move uh, in uh, that direction. Now, the Solicitor General, Mike Farmer, spoke on the issue a couple of hours ago. He says he hasn't read the municipal report, uh, but he will be reading it very soon. But the rules have not changed. Remember that. He and his staff need to be convinced the RCMP can ramp up um, recruiting without poaching officers from other jurisdictions here in British Columbia. Remember, the minister's staff also includes former RCMP members who recommended the move to the Surrey Police Service in the first place. Here's the minister from today. Uh, the mayor and I did speak uh, yesterday. She told me uh, what uh, what uh, the city was intending to do, and I also reiterated that uh, what's important for me is that I need to see a plan uh, that uh, deals with the uh, the requirements uh, the requirements that I laid out um, for both the RCMP and the Surrey Police Service, uh, and that uh, I need to see that and. Uh, you know, I will be signing the non-disclosure agreement that allows both myself uh, and my staff to see the uh, the report. That is Solicitor General uh, Mike Farmer from a couple of hours ago. Joining me now to talk about the issue is Linda Annis, Surrey City Council. Linda, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jess, for having me. So first and foremost, uh, your thoughts on this process, how things uh, moved along yesterday. Obviously, uh, we were talking about this report as you and your colleagues were inside having the discussion. It was in camera. Your thoughts on how things transpired? 
Well, I was quite surprised on Wednesday to hear that I was going to be receiving a 400-plus page report that we'd be talking about the next day in camera on this very important subject. Uh, clearly, that's not enough time for any councillor or mayor to read through a, a corporate report and come to any really good conclusions and you know have time to ask questions. So I was quite shocked at the timeline for such a major decision that we're going to be making. And I quite frankly feel that we've done a little bit backwards. Uh, we should have, as we have talked about many times, but done a referendum right from the get-go back in 2018. I don't think we'd be going through all this uh, right now. But isn't the idea of a referendum, it's the horse is out of the barn. and It's all well and good to say we should have done it on day one four years ago, which I think uh, I would agree with you, but is it? it's almost irrelevant now, is it not? Well, I I think you're probably right, Jazz, and it's so unfortunate because through this whole process, really the residents haven't had a say. Uh, We're spending their money, and arguably I would guess that, you know, this transition um, going through to the Surrey Police Service is valued at probably $200 million by the time you think of what we spent, what we will spend. You know, I don't know what the real number is, but I'd guess it's right around there. And we're spending $200 million of taxpayers nothing for nothing. At the end of it, I know you can't talk about the specifics, but I don't know if you can comment perhaps on some of the broader uh, uh, concerns and conversation. Is it fair to say that the conversation in that meeting was, would you describe it as heated, productive, uh, polarizing? Is there a way to describe the conversation that, uh, over the la- over the those two or th- two hours or so during the meeting? Well, I really can't talk about what went on in the meeting, but what I can talk about that I was quite surprised, um, the minister has mentioned this as well, is that he didn't get the report beforehand. Uh, This report was supposed to outline uh, how we were going to address the issues uh, that the province had identified that were you know, no no goals that we had to fulfill specifically around, you know, um, a number of FTEs and the ab- ability to be able to serve um, not just Surrey, but the province of British Columbia as well and not disrupt public safety. I would have thought he would have got that in advance, had a chance to have a look at the document and made sure that our numbers aligned with what his expectations were before council made any sort of vote. Um my understanding, and correct me if, long, if I'm wrong in regards to the numbers, and, and some of them are maybe a bit speculative, but during the 2020 report from the Provincial Municipal Police Transition Study Committee, that's the often referred to as the OPAL report, uh, it basically said that the city's operating expenses for the SPS would add $19 million to the city's operating budget, or roughly about $95 million over five years. Um, the city in November said over those five years actually identified 230 Five million dollars uh, in, uh, in in regards to the impacting the city's budget. That's two and thirty-five million over five years. But my understanding is, uh, as the staff looked through those numbers, uh, they found an additional three hundred million dollars in operating costs uh, because of the collective agreement. And so the total operating expenses increased to the city with SPS would have been close to half a billion over five years. Is that close to the the, the broader no. conversation? No, that was a number that the mayor was floating out uh, during her campaign, and I've not seen that number in real terms anywhere. Uh, the There was another number, I think, when we were doing budget that was around uh, $236 million, if my memory serves me correct, that it was going to cost. But 
clearly the numbers, we don't have a good grasp on the numbers. You, you must know, have we, had the numbers, though, from, from, from the media. I know you can't talk about them, but you, you must have been given updated numbers based on city staff's perspective. I'm not confident in any of the numbers that I've received because there doesn't seem to be any consistency. And, you know, we need to get the real numbers. But you don't, hang on, you're not comfortable with the public servants' numbers from the city? You don't trust them? The numbers are all over the place, and I you know, specifically can't speak to what it was discussed and closed yesterday, but uh, going back a few months ago, we had numbers from the city, we had numbers from the province, we had numbers from Surrey Police Service, and numbers from the RCMP. They were not aligned. So I'm not confident in any of the numbers. So what should happen next then? If you're not confident with the numbers, this was an in-camera meeting, the minister is now looking at this issue in regards to what the transition would potentially look like and if that's feasible. Um, what, I mean, where do you go next with this? Well, I think there's a couple of things that need to happen. First of all, the residents of Surrey need to be brought up to speed. They need to know what the transition is going to cost and what it's going to look like. They've been shut out. Uh, and I think we need to do a much better job of bringing everyone up to speed in terms of what the next steps are going to be. But first and foremost, uh, Minister Farnworth needs to read the report and evaluate it and make sure that we're al- al- in alignment with what his expectations are and what um, we absolutely must do to be able to move forward with the RCMP. Uh when you know once information is perhaps made public even from this in-camera meeting and the mayor decides to make public the public should know how city councillors voted number one and do you think people will be surprised in Surrey as to what the vote was like some have talked about speculated that it was a 6-3 vote in support of RCMP would people be surprised at what councillors voted uh, to keep the RCMP Well, I really can't talk again about whether people would be surprised or not. I think we need to leave the voting and and what happened in council for another day once that's actually been um, uh, put out for uh, to the public and it's been released for public information. Well, it's going to be a very interesting few weeks. Uh, Linda, look forward to chatting with you on this issue uh, in, in the short term. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Jess. Thank you. Joining me now, Jerry Mayor Judson. Uh, can we do something for free in this? City? Absolutely. We, yes, yes, yes. We need yes. to save some money for our, <laughs> for our listeners here. Walk me through about this great event, uh, yearly event that, the, that they have in Stanley Park. Absolutely. So it's called the Evo Summer Cinema, sponsored by Evo Car Share. It's at Stanley Park. It's at Second Beach. I actually, It starts in July. I actually did have a chat with Jake Dunbar. He's the managing director for Fresh Air Cinema, and he has all the details. So the concept, free movies in Stanley Park. Tell me all about it. Basically what you said, it's, it's a big inflatable screen that we put up in Stanley Park there and it's free to attend. There's a VIP section like right in the front of about 200 chairs, but the rest of it, thousands, it's just open air. Basically just bring a chair and blanket and it's free to attend. We do it every Tuesday in July and August with the, or I should say eight Tuesdays in July and August because sometimes August has that extra Tuesday. So right now and, and for the last handful of years, uh, Evo Car Share has been the title sponsor and we have other sponsors that uh, that will partner in different ways and help support the series and keep it free for everybody. Well, that's excellent. Yeah, you like anticipated questions. I was gonna I was gonna ask anyways because I was gonna ask about <laughs> the uh, VIP seating. So I was looking online. That yeah. looks pretty cool. Tell me uh, how you can snag yourself a VIP seat. 
Yeah, so, so basically how it works is, yeah, there's these kind of nice big yellow Adirondack chairs that we have. Um, so the, the idea is that it's kind of the best seat in the house. Um, it comes with a little goodie bag for everyone. The tickets are just $20 a piece. We've kept that price for a long time. I was going to say that I was so like 20 bucks uh, for a seat yeah. and some food. Yes, that is the best deal yeah. in the world. <laughs> We try not to let it like, you know, balloon over time because we the whole idea is we want the event to, to primarily be a free event. And then the, the movies themselves, it's actually funny. So in the past, we've always done like a mix. There's been, you always have some classic 80s films are always popular and stuff. But it's funny, this year, is, um, we're kind of joking because it, it's almost like the, the first time that the 90s, they're, they're entering that same kind of nostalgia phase that like the 80s movies have I been for know, a while. Oh, right. Oh, I makes me feel so old. I was looking at the lineup and I was I like, wow, that's from my childhood. That means I'm an old person. Sweet. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's going to be a fun lineup and still have like classics like Jaws and things like that. And, and we've got, you know, the new Super Mario movie on the second night. So we try to, you know, we mix it up. There's something new, something older, but definitely a lot of fun, a lot of fun 90s movies this year. And I'm, I'm sure that'll be a trend going forward too. On July 18th, it looks like there is a vote for the battle of the 90s, like which yeah, film is going to play. 90s, yeah. um, my Best Friend's Wedding with Julia Roberts. There's uh, 10 Things I Hate About You and uh, Parent Trap. So Ooh. all, yeah, all super fun. Like you, you can't lose, basically. So whichever one wins, it's true. fine. It's yeah. a victory either way. I think that voting is until June 25th, I think, is the cutoff. And then, you know, we'll we'll announce what, what the winner is and, and uh, update our, our lineup and everything. I don't know. I don't know if I have stakes in this because <laughs> I was like, wait. I know. I, 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 my, I like, my girlfriend was saying, like, which one are you going to pick? I'm like, I'm staying out of this. This is, uh, <laughs> this this is, is too controversial. I'm not, not getting involved. If I, if I say one, I'm just going to get hate from everybody who likes the other one. So. Exactly. There's a 66% chance that you're going to catch it from somebody. So. I do remember when I was younger dancing and singing along to my best friend's wedding quite a bit. So oh, okay. So there's there. implicit. Well, right on. That sounds absolutely incredible. I'm going to check out at least, I probably might go for the Super Mario movie one to see it on the big, oh, yeah. biggest I, screen. I, I, I can always kind of tell just from the early sales yeah. too. And that one, that mo- that one's had the most VIP sales. Oh, fun. Um, which is just an early indicator. So I, 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 can, I can tell that one's going to be a fun night. It's going to be busy. It's one of those things where, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, big crowd. It's like, yeah, if you don't come early, you're going to be in the back. It's, it's one of those events where it's like you could be in the far back, almost on the playground because there's a playground in the back where mm-hmm. it kind of overflows. And it's like it's it's different than going to like a typical movie where it's like, OK, you want it quiet. You want to be able to hear the everything. It's like it's more like going to a concert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, actually yeah. want you just want the atmosphere. You just, it's often movies that everyone's already seen. Mm-hmm. It's just that. This is like a rare opportunity to go see a movie that you grew up with and see it with like 5,000 other people. That is awesome. Right? It is great. What I love about it is is that you get like-minded individual, fun night with the family. And uh, as you were saying, uh, movies you know, you love, you can watch a hundred times. You know, just listening to, to, to the options for the 90s movies uh, for uh, July 18th, My Best Friend's Wedding would be my choice. Yeah, that's what you vote for. I, I remember, I remember uh, last summer I walked out of, the, uh, out of the studio here and they were doing something similar at the art gallery. Yes, it's right? actually through Fresh Air Cinema oh, as well. Yeah, wonderful because it was just wonderful to see us walking by kids out there with the parents, got their chairs out ready to watch popcorn the whole bit. It was really cool for an urban setting that they are actually able to do that. So that's wonderful to to to, to hear about. So just to confirm, it's every Tuesday from July fourth to August twenty second. Mm-hmm. Eight Tuesdays because sometimes the August has like the extra fifth Tuesday, but ah, okay. for eight Tuesdays and a giant forty foot inflatable movie. Betcha. There you go. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, let's focus on the story of the day and revisit our lead story. Now, as you're aware, uh, Surrey City Council in an in-camera meeting voted to revert back to the RCMP. Uh, Mayor Brenda Locke uh, didn't set a timeline for the transition uh, in regards to how long it'll take to go back to the RCMP and return and for it to return to the full strength. But that'll be the issue of the moment as Solicitor General uh, Mike Farnworth will now decide uh, and his uh, the public servants along with him will have to decide how um, can the RCMP actually ramp up? Can they uh, do so without poaching officers from other jurisdictions here in British Columbia? Uh, That is going to be the core issue uh, in regards to Surrey transitioning to the RCMP. It can't just be this vote. Uh, The minister and his public servant staff have to be convinced that if there is a transition to the RCMP, the RCMP can do so without jeopardizing uh, an impact impacting law enforcement in this province. That means not poaching from smaller uh, detachments around British Columbia or other detachments uh, here uh, in the Lower Mainland. Well, joining me now to talk about this issue is Brian Edwards. He's the Assistant Commissioner and Officer in Charge of the Surrey RCMP. Mr. Edwards, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me, Chas. First of all, your reaction to the announcement by Surrey Council, or Surrey Mayor, uh, Brenda Locke, that they uh, wish to remain with the RCMP? I think that uh, from a business perspective, I think the RCMP has provided adequate, uh, uh, effective, and strong policing over the last 70 years. Uh, we have a strong business model in place. It has shown a reduction in crime uh, for the last 11 years. So I am uh, pleased with the decision. Uh, one of the issues, the main issue uh, that the minister has gone back to, the Solicitor General, Minister of, uh, of Public Safety as well, Mike Farnworth, has said that he needs to see this report, the corporate report that Surrey put together, but more importantly, he needs to see a plan in regards to how the RCMP can ramp up uh, with the proper amount of resources to police Surrey, one, and two, to make sure uh, that Surrey isn't hindering or, or hurting other municipalities uh, and smaller communities by taking RCMP officers away from them. How can you ramp up uh, Surrey RCMP uh, to an adequate force in regards to numbers without actually taking members away from other communities? Yeah, that's uh, no doubt that is the minister's responsibility, and uh, we recognize that. So we have a uh, multifaceted plan in place, Jazz. And you have to remember the original submission was made over six months ago to the province. So there's three main things that, uh, that we have done. So the first thing is our uh, experienced police officer program, and that's where officers from other agencies come to the RCMP. I just can't tell you how transformational our collective agreement has uh, has been. Uh, before the collective agreement was in place, we really in this division didn't have any other municipal officers that wanted to come into the RCMP as I did over 20 years ago. Uh, we are now on target for 140 officers in this division alone uh, by uh, April of next year to come aboard, and that is just exceptional. So that's but, a but, major boost to our staff. But does that so, not still go back to the fact that you're taking away resources or personnel from other agencies to move into Surrey? Does that not still cause difficulty for those various agencies because they have positions to fill them? I think what you're seeing, and this is what this has been happening on a large scale for many, many years, 
And the RCMP were suffering from that from a long time. And in fact, by standing up the SPS is what exacerbated those pro uh, problems. And it was just during that period before the collective agreement jazz, when in fact we lost those numbers of members. So we have uh, rectified that. That's a matter of collective agreement. That's a matter of uh, job satisfaction, the number of roles that you can play. So it put us competitive in the market with other police agencies when we were not before the collective agreement. So that is in place. Also, we have changed the uh, cadet intake program. Before, when you entered the RCMP, you were going in and you were prepared to serve anywhere in Canada. We thought that wasn't working. It was the main impediment to getting people in the door, Jazz. We've changed that as of January of this year. If you join from BC and you want to, you're coming home. We're finding that 86% of our applicants are choosing to come back to BC. So that's having a tremendous impact and downstream it will. Thirdly, the SPS officers themselves, we have not actively solicited those officers. We have not out of respect for the process and where it's at. Notwithstanding that, we have 12 in the experienced police officer uh, program. We have already hired some of them into the RCMP and we have expressions of interest from over 80. So I think with those three streams uh, and again, the uh, structural changes that come with the collective agreement, uh, we can meet the test that the minister uh, wants to uh, see met and uh, he can uh, review that. Of course, his staff have to. That is a city of Surrey report, not an RCMP report, but we contributed on the staffing components of that. Now, recently uh, on this show, just a few days ago, uh, I was able to get access to a Surrey Police Union uh, document signed by their president, Rick Stewart, uh, who basically said that, um, that they re respectfully decline any request to participate in individualized human resource planning to support an alternate policing model with the RCMP, that if the city does decide to go with the RCMP, um, uh, the Surrey Police Union members uh, would promptly uh, want to be relieved of their duties and provided with severance payments. What they're saying is the vast majority of them don't wish to join the RCMP. Does that not uh, hinder your ability to ramp up if, if the SP, SPS union is saying their vast majority, the vast, vast majority members don't want to be RCMP officers? I'm not going to uh, get into a debate with the Surrey Police Union. In my previous answer, I provided the stats that we know, that we see and people in the process. I think what is complicated, Jazz, and has to be respected, and is that choice of employment, where you work, for whom you work, for what is best for your family is not a group decision, it's an individual decision. And when I see that 140 uh, uh, EPOs are coming into the RCMP in this division alone, and unfortunately, I didn't get to say there's 600 hundred active EPO applications across the country for the RCMP. I think those individual decisions, it is showing that for individuals, the uh, scope of work, the scope of duties, the variety are making uh, RCMP a very, very competitive employer. How long will this process take for you to ramp up to uh, hit a viable number of seven or 800 officers uh, for the city? Well, uh, I have uh, 544 operational. We have 176 uh, SPS. So again, we are confident that a large number of those folks will come over. I will start intaking cadets. I have an intake uh, intake in cadets from uh, uh, depot. 
for approximately two years. So I would think we have a viable plan in a reasonable period of time. Uh, I can't give you the specifics on that right now. It's in the report. That's going to be uh, uh, up to the province to disclose to the minister. I don't want to interfere in any way with the minister's decision-making, Jazz, but again, I remain confident that we could do this. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jazz. Well, there is one today that I think we should be paying attention to because it could really change how we live in Vancouver and certainly the look of the Vancouver skyline. Well, today, three local First Nations expanded their plans for the Jericho lands. The concept was put together, of course, by the Musqueam, Squamish and tsleil collectively known as the MST Partnership. And what they have proposed for the Jericho lands is a significant, a significant amount of density and some have said up to 13,000 homes for the property. And as when I read that number, I thought, what would the folks in West Point Grey think? Well, our next guest has been around a lot of developments in City Hall as well, uh, and she knows these issues very well. Frances Bula covers politics and urban issues for the Globe and Mail, and she joins us now. Frances, thank you for speaking to us today. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's been quite an exciting day. Surrey, Jericho, what's next? <laughs> I know. It does not go away. So first of all, uh, this project itself as it was released today, 13,000 homes. Uh, were you sort of su- surprised by the size and scope uh, of the project? I was. I mean, you know, because my experience over the last 25 years is that um, developers come in high with something that they sometimes often know the city won't support. Uh, and so then when it gets reduced down to what, you know, was the more expected level and everyone goes, oh, great, you know, they gave something up and uh, the city lopped off some um, floors and, you know, we're happier now. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a project where they've come back and said, Actually, we're going to make it 50% bigger and we're going to add 11 stories to the tallest towers. <laughs> like, I just, I have to say, this is so moxie. <laughs> <laughs> um, in regards to uh, MST Partnership's relationship with the city, for our listeners, just want to clarify uh, this partnership technically doesn't need any approval from the city i mean you do no 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 no. that's wrong that's wrong only the sanok project near the barard bridge that's the one that doesn't need city approval because it's reserved land but actually this land it's 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 being jointly developed uh by mst and canada lands corporation and it's sort of an agreement with the federal government about how, you know, the nations can kind of buy back their land and make a profit out, you know, buy it back at a certain price and, and then try to make a profit on it um, with housing. So they do have to follow city rules. They have to follow city rules. Now, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's, there's a school potentially that we use at least room for a, a public school there as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the current plan has a, a room for a public school. I have to say that means nothing in BC, right? Yeah. <laughs> we can, you can schedule, you can um, set aside all the land you want for schools and the ministry will let several generations of people live and die before they build that school. But, you know, Olympic Village has room set aside for a school. Um, River District has room set aside for a school. Uh, 
But anyway, yes, they have room set aside for a school, and good luck to them on that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're still debating that the Vancouver School Board is looking at selling some property, and there's quite a bit of controversy in and around that. Now, mm-hmm. in regards to this project, now, someone would say, look, you need a, a high-density neighborhood for that part of the city here in Vancouver. Others would say, wait a minute here, it doesn't fit the look and feel uh, and character of the area. Uh, you've been through a lot of these. I mean, is this going to be a, a, a quite the fight uh, in regards to just opposition to a project this size? It's going to, it will be. I mean, this is, this is going to be a big shock to a lot of people on the West side who, you know, for much of my career, there the, the big debates whether a triplex would be allowed or I don't know if you remember, there was a gigantic several years fight over uh, an empty block uh, having townhouses on it, you mm-hmm. know, at Sassamat and 8th. So this is enormous, you know, this is a huge change uh, and something that really the West Side hasn't had to look at at all before. I mean, you know, there have been things like this, like Joyce Collingwood over on the east side, River District on the east side, but it's been on industrial land kind of far away from, or, or not, you know, right right up next to kind of um, leafy neighborhoods. neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah, leafy. Yeah, that's a good word for it. <laughs> that's I always. That's my go-to word when you don't want to go into <laughs> leafy. Leafy. I like that. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> no, please do. On. Please do. I know some critics have already referred to it as Metro Town by the Sea. Um, is this is the direction the city needs to go? Right? Maybe not. You can argue whether it should be this dense and this big with thirteen thousand homes, but reality is we ha- we do have to get used to density, do we not? Well. The reality is we're accepting a lot of immigrants. You probably had that on the news all day today. Yep. Uh, we're accepting a lot of immigrants. The country is growing. The city, This city is growing. And you have a choice. You can let everyone spread out into farmland, you know, the way Calgary does. You could rezone your whole city and turn it into Paris. But I have yet to see a single uh, block of neighbors offer to have their their block converted into Barcelona style apartments, or you can put a lot of density on various chunks of vacant land that still exist in the city. And that's, you know, that's largely what's happening. Then that's how Vancouver's dealt with it. It's just, this is a much bigger project than we've seen before, but really how Vancouver has dealt with its housing issues for decades has been don't bother the existing neighborhoods. Um, maybe put up, you know, allow some apartments on busy bus streets. Mm-hmm. And then any chunks of empty land that come along will put pack a lot of density into there. And that's how the Concord lands got developed and the Bayshore and Joyce Collingwood and River District. And um, it's what's happening with um, the Pearson Dogwood lands. Uh, near um, Langara, uh, and that is Vancouver's pattern. And the only other option is to say we don't actually want any, we don't want any new newcomers at all. Please shut the gates. And I don't think anyone has figured out how to do that. Yeah, uh, I just want to switch uh, switch a little bit just to talk a little bit about Sinoc. Uh, that's of course the property on Squamish land uh, and the uh, mm-hmm. south side of the Broad Street Bridge. Uh, have you driven by there? How's it going? Yeah, I did just recently. I mean, you know, the crane is up, like the trees have been cleared along that kind of 
like it's such an oddly shaped piece of land that they're building on, right? Mm -hmm. So the first towers are kind of on this strip of land that's behind the weird fidget building that's there, you know, the three-pronged building. Yep. So there's three towers, I think it is three, uh, going in directly behind there on a pretty narrow strip of land. And, you know, they've, they've, they're digging, they're into the ground, there's a crane there, uh, and they're moving ahead like they're, that <laughs> Building is going to be up before any building at Jericho Lands even gets a de development permit. Yeah, it is. It, it, I, I, I was hearing from some that there is a small group of, uh, of those opposed and they're on a, and that they're on a regular basis still opposed to what's already happened. Oh but yeah, no, no, no. There, there's a a group of Kitsilano Point residents who are very unhappy about it and and feel that you know processes were not done properly and that even though it is reserve land and Sanok can do what they want, that the city had more leverage than they're admitting uh, because. Sanok does have to connect into sewer and water, mm -hmm. uh, the city's sewer and water and road system. Uh, and um, they feel that, you know, the city could have exerted more control and has chosen not to. Uh, and for sure, they're, they're opposed. Again, it's a very big change for a neighborhood that's kind of successfully resisted everything from basketball courts to bike lanes to tour buses for, for many decades. Yeah, and, I, and I, I encourage anybody to look at the sort of the, 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 the images that, that have been re released publicly a few years ago. They are quite, it, it does look like Hong oh. Kong style skyscra skyscrapers uh, in Vancouver. And it's going to be very interesting as the construction begins. Oh, no. I mean, it. it's going to be amazing to see the pictures of Vancouver once Sanok and Jericho lens are built, because that is really going to change the look of that west side waterfront quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Francis, thank you so much for your time. Look forward to having you on soon again. Okay, thank you. Let's revisit our top story. That, of course, uh, is the fact that Surrey City Council, in an in-camera meeting, uh, voted to revert back to the RCMP. Uh, but at this point, we also have to wait for the Solicitor General, uh, Mike Farnworth, to decide whether or not the RCMP can ramp up without poaching officers from other jurisdictions here in BC. So the story, of course, certainly um, uh, hasn't come to a close. Now, we did have um, the uh, officer in charge of the Surrey RCMP, Assistant Commissioner Brian Edwards, on at 4 o'clock. He said he was very um, confident that they could move forward in regards to finding those replacements. He says he has about 544 members presently. There are 175 SPS members. Uh, he assumes some of them can come over and would want to come over, uh, even though their union which sent a letter earlier this week saying they don't. They'd rather just take the uh, severance and, and move on. Um, uh, Mr. Edwards also said that uh, there are other opportunities to recruit from across the country that are still there uh, as well. But he feels that the plan is there and they can do so. Now, earlier today, uh, my colleague Joe Bennett spoke to Jack Kundal, who is a former Surrey councillor, uh, was there with Brenda Locke uh, in the previous Council, um, and he talked a little, about, a little bit about Minister Farnworth and the due diligence that is required. Take a listen. What I really find astonishing from Minister Farnworth is that in, when they did this greenlighting for this 189-page report in August of 2019, saying, yeah, carry on, where was the due diligence back then in all this? And since that time, we've had, you know, four directors of police services that have shaken their heads and walking away from this, but one minister. So I really call on the minister. And those MLAs in Surrey who have been very muted uh, over this whole process to date, 
is how come you're putting the screws to Siri now when really under McCallum, when the time came for a wholesome review and an honest look at this, where was the impact statement back then? So I think if there was transparency, really from the onset, we really would be where we are today. Uh, we also heard from uh, Chief Constable Norma Lipinski from the Surrey Police Service about a, a couple of hours ago uh, on the decision by uh, Council to revert back to the RCMP. Take a listen to Mr. Lipinski. We're, we're the, uh, the second biggest in, in BC now. And so you got to have that machine just keep going along. And so, yeah, uh, it's, uh, there'd have to be a whole new plan uh, to put together. And I can't, uh, you know, I can't speculate on how many months that would take even just to put a plan together. Mr. Lipinski, uh, in another uh, comment, said it's kind of like starting to build a bridge and then and then deciding you don't want the bridge, you want a tunnel. Uh, so I, he kind of made a Massey reference there, I think. I don't know. Joining me now is Keith Baldry, Global BC's Legislative Bureau Chief. Good afternoon, Keith. Hi, Jazz. Uh, your thoughts on all this. Uh, we talked yesterday as the vote was occurring. Uh, I think between all our sources, we had a pretty good sense of where this was all headed. Uh, your thoughts today, listening to the minister, Brenda Locke, Norm Lipinski. Um, where do you think this is headed today? Well, it was a mess yesterday. Um, it was a mess last week. It's a mess today. It's going to be a mess <laughs> next week. This is not going to be resolved one way or another. I just came from Farnworth's office, and there's people that have yet to hear from, well, actually, they just heard from, from sorry, city officials that maybe next week they'll get a non-disclosure uh, form to get this report. So, Surrey seems to be in no hurry to resolve this thing. I mean, there, I think Farnworth was hoping that they could get this report to take home for the weekend, sign a non-disclosure agreement, and get this going. Uh, but no, they've been told, no, nope, nothing today, nothing on the weekend, maybe Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. So this isn't going to be resolved for a while. And then his officials have to go through this. I think it's something like a 400-page report. Yep. But it comes down to basically a fundamental question. Will uh, Farnworth's people, and it's not Mike Farnworth, it's his officials, the experts, the civil servants who deal with this, will they agree that with uh, Commissioner Edwards, Deputy Commissioner Edwards' statement that RCMP has enough resources to fulfill the staffing requirements required under legislation, under statutory requirement from the minister? Uh, the first go at it from the ministry staff was no, you, they don't. And that was why the recommendation was to go with Surrey Police Service. It wasn't because Surrey Police Service was seen as the magic um, magic bullet. It was seen as an assessment of the RCMP not being able to f- fulfill the staffing requirements. The RCMP obviously feel different, and they've convinced Surrey officials that they can do this, hence this internal report that Farn was waiting to get, which presumably lays the, out the numbers to convince the count, enough councillors. We don't know how many because uh, Mayor Locke will, will not release the vote numbers breakdown. Uh, so the RCMP was able to convince Surrey staff. They were not able to convince ministry staff. And therein lies the problem. I don't think we're any really further ahead than we were yesterday, quite frankly. So does this uh, potentially, I mean, beyond a smoking gun or at least some plan that is that you can convince the, the minister and his staff, most importantly, uh, this could still come down to Mr. Farnworth saying, you know what, I'm not convinced. We are going to continue with moving forward with SPS, and I make that decision, not you. It seems that's a potential uh, scenario. We did ask Mr. Farnworth about this in news conference today several times, and he wasn't totally clear, just saying he has a, re- a statutory responsibility. But as you and I have talked about several times, there's different ways to look at this. There is the pure sort of detached view from a 
from a bureaucratic point of view, uh, making an assessment of RCMP claims. Then there's the political uh, filter that you have to put on this. And again, one of the things that has to be weighed on this is it worth getting into a huge fight with the, with the elected officials of the second largest municipality uh, in BC over an issue that neither side can prove with any finality or concrete evidence is going to have a certain outcome. You know, even with uh, the recommendation to go to the SPS has a lot of unknowns uh, attached to that as well. I mean, that's not an automatic scenario that's going to come into play. Um, it's just a recommendation to go that way because the other way was seen as less likely of a positive outcome. But both are predictions, um, Jazz. These are both basically projecting into the future what either scenario is going to look like. So I just wonder at the end of the day whether a political fight is worth it or maybe the ministry sticks to its guns and say at the end of the day the RCMP is a spent force and we're going to go in a different direction. Yeah, I mean, they could go either way. I mean, you could pick a fight with Surrey and some would argue, well, right before a provincial election, but one could argue, look, elections not till fall 2024. Uh, it may not be the issue of the moment and it could easily not be. So uh, that is interesting. Going back to a question I asked you yesterday, I want to revisit it a little bit. I mean, these big issues, whether it's a new police service for Surrey, you know, we talked a little bit about opposition from the mayor's council to a 10-lane bridge at Massey, now we're replacing it with an eight-lane tunnel, which will cost more. I mean, I'm convinced that these big issues have to be led by senior levels of government. We can't hand, hand them over to municipalities. Of course, they could have a referendum and all that. That's all fine. But in regards to this policing stuff, it does say that you can't leave it to municipalities. Well, I mean, there's there's the argument municipalities are independent fiefdoms, elected governments, albeit with low voter turnouts, um, but nevertheless, they are elected. We have seen some instances in the past where a senior level of government in regards to transportation projects did step in. But that wasn't over one municipality, that was over many. So first of all, the Glenn Clark um, in the 1990s is the minister responsible for, trans, for transit, uh, built the Millennium Line, the subway line, and, uh, over the objections of a number of municipalities and mayors. Fast forward 10 years or so, or not quite 10 years, um, Kevin Falcon was the transportation minister under the B.C. Liberal government. Uh, a couple mayors were roadblocks for building the Canada Line, the subway line down there to, to the airport connecting Vancouver. And, of course, it was a top priority for the Liberals needing that line established and built and up and running before the 2010 Olympics. And Falcon stepped in and said, nope, I don't care what the local mayors say, we're building this thing. The Sightsee Dam was another classic example where a government comes, a party comes in in power, having firmly opposed a massive infrastructure project, but in this case decided to continue with the construction. I think the bridge one, because it's still early in the game, it gave the NDP the chance to change um, the scope of that project because mm-hmm. not much was in the ground. Sightsee was already sunk costs to a significant amount. It was past the point, the proverbial point of no return. Five billion, I think it was. At yeah, that time, and that yeah. maybe that's where we're at in terms of some of these municipal decisions if we're past the point of no return. Having said that, the Surrey thing, I mean, you could argue this thing was past the point of no return in both directions, you know, (laughs) a year ago. So, again, not sure where this is headed, but it sounds like Surrey's in no hurry to get this report over to Mike Farnworth and his people. You know, every day they wait, uh, just for June alone, it's $266,000 a day for taxpayers, $8 million a month. And uh, you'd think there would be some urgency, but every day they wait, even getting an NDA over. Well, even, even today, Brenda Locke, you know, they have this in-camera secret meeting yesterday to make this fundamental decision, not in public, but beyond scrutiny and accountability, then to, and then say nothing yesterday, leave everybody hanging, then today have a news conference and take like four or five, four questions 
Janet Brown, our colleague at Global, you know, in the middle of the news, Brendan Locke is trying to leave as her handler says no more questions. And she says, what are you talking about? This thing just started. There's a lot of questions that need answering here. Yet Locke won't answer, won't take reporters' questions, meets in secret, and won't share this report with anyone. Um, so there's a lot of things still hanging in the air, which is why it's not going to be resolved anytime quick. Uh, well, it is what it is, and uh, we'll continue to follow it uh, next week, even though it costs taxpayers uh, in series $266,000 per day. Keith, thanks for your time. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.